RadioInfluence.com. thing that I never thought in a million years would happen. happen. The champion, the challenger, here we go! This is the MMA Report with Jason Floyd on Radio Influence. Welcome into the December 4th, 2022 edition of the MMA Report podcast. I am Jason Floyd. Of course, this is the interview edition of the show and i have got a pair of fire interviews here on this episode of the podcast you're going to hear from a man that's going to be a part of the ufc fight card come up here in just under two weeks from now at ufc vegas 66 julian orosa as he is going to be taking on alex Caceres and had a great conversation with julian kind of talking about uh, this journey for him over you know the past couple years uh you know he's a a rare occasion that we've seen in the ufc where a fighter gets a third opportunity in the UFC and man he has taken full advantage of it five and one since coming back to the UFC's one four in a row has a new contract with the UFC and uh, in this conversation you are going to hear about uh, how he has been wanting to fight Alex Caceres for sometimes and the other interview you're going to hear on this edition of the podcast is with a man that's going to be challenging Graham Park for the light heavyweight title Unify MMA 49 here in two weeks from now December the 17th Ty Flores you may remember Ty from his time on the contender series he's got this matchup come up here spoke to him about uh, what has been going on with him and the fact of uh, he mentioned this interview that he was looking for either light heavyweight or heavyweight matchups and he gets this light heavyweight title fight here so you hear those conversations come up here in a little bit of course as always appreciate taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast of course a great way to show your support for the podcast uh rate review whether you listen to this on apple spotify where you may be listening to this of course also all of the video content for the podcast is available over there at the mma report youtube channel of course uh, be sure to subscribe to that channel like comment share all that really do appreciate that now before we get into the interviews here on this edition of the show do want to talk about the major news that dropped on Friday from the UFC. And, and this is a story that I have been talking about now for a couple of weeks. And I know that it, it seems like maybe some of the MMA media wasn't touching on the story the way I felt that they should have been touching. Cause to me, this was the biggest story in mixed martial arts. And, you know, last week when we did the show with Daniel, we talked about, you know, like, well, what's going to be the next turn or the next twist on this story. And, you know, as I've always said, never making any assumptions about James Krause, just talking about the facts that we know, you know, we, we know what happened there on November, the, November the 5th, you know, where the U S integrity said that they were alerted to suspicious betting there on the Derek Minner fight. Then, of course, we saw what happened with New Jersey. Then we saw Ontario say, we're not going to allow UFC betting with our sports books. And then Alberta steps up. So you knew the UFC at, at some point was going to have to make a major decision because one of the things that was going to come is whether or not we would see maybe a U.S. sports book say we're not going to take action on the UFC. And it was Hunter Campbell. He sent out a memo to fighters, their representation. And boy, this memo really sticks out to you where uh, the memo said this, quote, Following the fight involving Derek Minner on November 5th, 2022, UFC was informed by sources that suspicious betting patterns have been observed on the fight. In the weeks following the fight, the UFC has been cooperating with multiple ongoing government investigations into the facts and circumstances surrounding that contest. On November 18th, the Nevada State Athletic Commission informed the UFC and Minner's coach, James Krause, that Krause's license was suspended and would remain so while the NSAC conducted an investigation into the matter. UFC has since advised Kraus and respective managers working with impacted fighters that effective immediately fighters who choose to continue to be coached by Kraus or continue to train in his gym will not be permitted to participate in UFC events pending the outcome of the aforementioned government investigations. Further, UFC has released Derek Minner from the organization. The memo goes on to say, along with the safety and health of its fighters, UFC believes there is no more important component of the professional mixed martial arts than the integrity of the sport. 
weeks prior to the Menor fight, the organization sent a formal notification to all fighters and members of their teams that they and certain other defined insiders were prohibited from wagering on UFC events. This was an extension of the UFC's pre-existing and since updated fighter code of conduct, as well as a recognition of various state, federal, and international laws and regulations expressly prohibiting conduct that threatens the integrity of the sport involving, but not limited to, insider betting based on non-public information, fight fixing, and other such misconduct. The UFC will continue to take all necessary and appropriate steps to ensure compliance and enforcement of its policies, those of the jurisdictions in which it operates. So that was the statement. And when that statement comes down, I mean, look, the first thing you said was, whoa, man, the the UFC, the fact of telling UFC fighters that are coached by James Krause that they will not be allowed to fight in the UFC as long as they continue to work with James Krause definitely sent a major message. Now, it should be noted when you talk about the fighters that are in the UFC that have been training at Glory MMA. So here's your list. Bram Moreno, Tim Elliott, Trey Ogden, Jeff Molina, David Onama, Mana Martinez, Miles Johns, Isaac Dolgaria, Marcelo Rojo fought last night. Julian Marquez, who fights in uh, next week at the uh, December 17th card against Deron Wynn. Don Shanus, he's got a fight scheduled in UFC 284 there in February. Of course, I mean, look, the biggest name on that list is Bram Moreno. Bram Moreno did offer his support for James Krause. I saw that on Instagram. In terms of Bellator fighters, and I saw... A headline that Scott Coker, uh, you know, supports what the UFC is doing. Of course, they're the most notable Bellator fighter, and I think it may be the only Bellator fighter that trains at Glory uh, that has contracted to Bellator, and that'd be James Gallagher. So, I mean, look, this is, and I saw Ariel Hawani had a tweet. Um, I want to say this was probably on Friday, and it, it was basically saying that you know, essentially feeling like there's worse things that are going to potentially come out on this story. And it also should be noted about, you know, all those fighters I mentioned about who train at glory and are in the UFC, they all have something in common. They're all represented by the same management company. They are all represented by Iridium sports agency. Of course, that's the agency that is run by Jason house. So we'll, we'll see what happens with those fires. I would expect that. Look, if you, if I'm going to start putting betting lines on where those fires will ultimately end up, there's a couple of gyms. I would say that they will likely go to one of those gyms is I would say is American top team, Grant Dawson, who trained at glory for, you know, a good portion of his career. He left glory. I want to say, I don't know, five, six months ago, he's been training down an American top team. So I can see maybe some of his, you know, ex training partners join him down in coconut Creek and train at American top team. Other gyms that I could, you could potentially see where they go is I would say factory X there in Colorado. Of course, the head coach, Mark Montoya, other gyms, team Oyama, um, extreme couture, I think would be one that would, I would throw in there. Fight Ready is another one. The MMA Lab, you know, with Bram Reno, that's going to be that's a really interesting story. Is you know, obviously he has credited James Krause with a lot of things, but now he's got to change up camp. So, uh, Fight Ready will not be a place where Bram Reno goes because of the relationship that Fight Ready has with Davis and Figueroa. So we'll see. You know, maybe he ends up at a, at a Vegas gym. Maybe it's maybe it's Extreme Couture. Maybe it's Syndicate MMA. Maybe he creates his own team. But this is massive news and. And I've said this countless times, and I'll continue to say this. I'm not making assumptions on James Krause. But when you see what the UFC is doing there, it makes you wonder what these government agencies are telling James Krause. We all know James Krause has deleted his YouTube channel. We know he's deleted his score channel. I noticed on Friday, he's deleted his Instagram account. Right now, I mean, we're going to see how this thing plays out, but I got to imagine that the UFC has been informed by the U.S. Integrity and other agencies about things going on. And look, I'm not here to say I don't know what is going on, but right now it doesn't look good for James Krause. And, and I've said this to people that it's if James Krause is guilty of any wrongdoing, the least of his problems is going to be what the UFC thinks of him. Likely reality is, I think that's when you're going to see the federal government come toward James Krause. And, but I said this to somebody the other day, I said, you know, look, if James Krause is innocent of any wrongdoing, like his, his business has been literally 
the UFC has put the nail in James Krause's business. Let's just be honest about it. If he if he's innocent of any wrongdoing, it, it's just not going to be, you know, it, it's not good for James Krause. And, you know, and it was, I will say this, it was very interesting because I did feel like before Friday that not enough attention was being paid to this story by a decent amount of the MMA media. I think that there was a core people that were talking about this story. And look, I do I have my perceptions on, on why that is? Yes, I do. But right now, but this story forced everyone to kind of talk about there. But man, this was this statement was uh man, it was it was whoa. I mean, whoa is about the best way to put it there. And so we'll see what happens with just James Krause's story and uh, the UFC betting scandal. We'll see what happens there, of course. Uh, but uh, right now, going to get into the interview edition of the shows. So right now, you're going to hear the conversations I had with Julian Arosa and Ty Flores. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that's got a fight come up here at UFC Vegas 66. Julian, as always, man, uh, appreciate the time. You know, I was I was going through your Instagram, and, you know, you had the, the photo from, I think it was like 11 weeks ago when, when you signed your new uh, UFC deal, and it, it kind of made me think about, like, where you're at now and, and maybe where you were at in 2019. Like, when you think about, I mean, I mean, we all have, like, a retrospect where we think about kind of where we were. Like, if, if someone would have said in 2019 that this is where you would be in 2022, like, what would you have said to them? Man, it's, I look back on those times, and I, I'm amazed about how optimistic I was during that stuff. You know, I, you know, being up and down and in and out of the UFC, Living in Vegas, you know, I had moved out here with my wife. Uh, you know, we were chasing the dream, you know. She had my back. She was supporting me. Um, I was Uber driving in Vegas just to make ends meet so I could keep chasing this dream. And then just to kind of uh, see the failures of it over and over again and just know that that wasn't me. You know, that wasn't where I thought I could be and should be. And, um, and so, like, looking back at it now, I'm just like the overall, uh, you know, the overall feeling that I have is just, it's just crazy how optimistic I was. I was still like, oh no, it's all good. We'll figure it out. I'm going to keep pushing. You know, I was one and four in the UFC, got cut two times. Uh, and it's like pretty unheard of to get a third shot in the UFC. Let You know, I mean, a, a first shot is hard. Second shot's even harder. Uh, I mean, you see these guys getting cut, you know, off of just, you know, one loss, you know, if they're, or just even like, Guys on contenders, even me on contenders, I freaking knocked out Jamal Emmers and they still didn't sign me. So like, you know, the the way that my career has, you know, has gone has actually been, you know, pretty humbling for me because, you know, I it, it's not something that's been easy. It's been harder. You know, there's a lot of people that lose, you know, you know, lose their first contract in the UFC, you know, whatever they go on a couple losses and they, they get out of the UFC and they never fight again, you know, because uh, it's not worth it. You know, you try to go back. Uh, you know, it's not worth it unless you're willing to put the work in. You go back to a regional show, you're getting paid, you know, pennies on the dollar compared to the UFC. So, and even now, and even in the beginning of the UFC, it's not like you're making overwhelming amounts of money. I mean, you still have to, you know, make ends meet. And um, shoot, even in the, even when I was in the UFC doing decent, I was still Uber driving because, you know, I was still trying to, uh, you know, stay above water. And man, you know, it's just been an amazing journey, uh, you know, as of late. But it's just, uh, I feel like everything's kind of clicking for me. Um, one of the biggest things was uh, when I first got into the UFC, I really wanted to um, uh, I really expected that I had to be, you know, exciting and get finishes. And I almost put too much pressure on my shoulders when I went out there. It was too risky. I was willing to risk getting knocked out to knock somebody out. And the problem with that is that, yeah, you might get the knockout and you might have an exciting fight, but you also might lose a couple fights in a row and get cut again. So uh, after, you know, the one and four and the, the two kickouts of the UFC and, and it got re-signed on that Sean Woodson fight, I went out there and just told myself, I don't care what happens. I don't care if I win, lose, draw, whatever happens is fine. As long as I just go out there and fight to my best ability. And mm -hmm. I don't care about being exciting. I don't care about any of that. Just go out there and win. And I think that fight in particular encompasses my fighting style, my fighting ability, uh, and one of my biggest uh, skill sets in the game, which is just, my durability, my toughness, and my, my willingness to keep fighting through adversity. And so, uh, you know, and then I got a bonus with that fight anyway. So uh, that, that that was one of the biggest ones that, uh, you know, obviously turned everything around for me. And, you know, ever since then, I've been five out of six in the UFC. I'm on a three-fight winning streak. You know, I had a fight of the night, had a performance of a night, 
And then I, I arguably, I think I should have got performances, maybe even the Nate Landwehr fight where I knocked him out with a flying knee in a minute. And then uh, the Jordan fight, which was almost identical to the Sean Woodson fight with a sneaky Darce at the end. And Darces are pretty rare in the UFC, but you know, uh, beggars can be choosers. And I think it all kind of the ship righted itself with the, uh, the double bonus of the uh, fight of the night when um, uh, Peterson missed weight. So, you know, it all comes full circle. You, you said something there. Cause I mean, look, I, I always still say, I think if you, you go to a fan, you know, if you, you walk into a sports bar tomorrow night to, to watch the UFC event and you say, Hey, describe Julian Rosa. I, I think they would all say super exciting fire guy who's going to bring it every time. And you know what? You're going to get your money's worth, but you said something there about risk assessment, like yes. in terms of the inside the fight, like, you, I mean, obviously everything's happening so quick. How do you yeah. kind of manage that? Of Okay. Let me go for this flying knee right here. Or, or you sit back and say, uh, maybe this isn't the right moment. How do you inside the fight? How do you make that, that quick assessment? Well, you know, I, I've always had a killer instinct uh, in fights, uh, even uh, all my regional shows, my amateur uh, fight career. I've always kind of understood when I can put it on a bit more uh, when I feel like someone's, you know, uh, in trouble or hurt. And so uh, those kind of things aren't the hardest, aren't the hardest part. The hardest part is to really pull things back when it's, when I'm letting a fight become a 250-50. Like uh, Peterson's the great, a great example, although I love the way everything turned out. I mean, that was fantastic for me. And you know, financially it was fantastic as well. But uh, that's the type of fight where I think I'm skillfully a lot better than Peterson. I think I love Peterson in the sense that he's just like me with the heart, you know, the willingness to fight. Uh, but I let that fight get to 50-50. I, I felt like in the first round was the game plan. And the, you know, second and third round was just everything went out the window and we just kind of had a brawl. Um, and I love and enjoy that. But, uh, you know, with the risk assessment, I think, I did a big turnaround with the Dawadu fight. Like, I definitely had him hurt. It was game plan in the first in the first round. Everything went to the game plan. And but instead of just letting him get into a 50-50 stand-up war, I was able to take him down, hold his back, and you know it was a little boring towards the end of that fight. But uh, that was me managing that risk, and I knew it was a big win to get over him. And you know, after the second round, when I had his back for you know half the round, and I knew in my mind, and my coaches knew that I had two rounds locked up, which is probably the only fight in my entire career where I felt like I was comfortably two rounds ahead. Um, uh, because I just, you know, I just let people, you know, I let people into fights, you know, for a little too long sometimes, uh, to my own detriment. But, uh, that third round was a bit more boring and, uh, uh then I like to have it. But, uh, you know, I told myself if he's willing to just dance around for a minute and a half mm -hmm. in the fir first, you know, in the first going of the third round, I'm as well. You know, I was just all about risk management at that point forward. And I was able to take his back and kind of nullify the risk that I'd be willing to take if I stay on the feet with a dangerous striker like himself. And that's really all he had for me, you know, in the third round was to knock me out or to finish me. So uh, that was one of the biggest turning points from the Peterson to the Dawadu fight that I really, you know, uh, really adjusted was that risk management within the fight. You know, and when I think about this fight coming up here against Alex, obviously a different opponent than you knew with Akeem. Akeem was going to stand up and have a striking matchup with you where now with Alex, yes, he'll do that. But we all like when I think Alex, jujitsu is probably one of the first things that comes to my mind. Yeah. I, is that the first thing that comes to your mind? I think with him, uh, specifically what comes to my mind is just an overall good, like decent game. I think he's, I think he's good everywhere, you know, uh, I think he gets a lot of people in submissions because he, uh, you know, he's very elusive. So I think people get a little frustrated on the feet with trying to connect, and maybe they get pot shot at here and there, and they decide to get a take, try to take him down. And it's kind of the whole story of my amateur career. I was never a wrestler, but I was I had decent range, and I would, you know, smack some people on the feet, and they would immediately want to take me down, and I would end up subbing them out, not because I wanted to. I mean, mm -hmm. I wanted to finish the fight, but yeah. I wanted to stand up and fight. You know, I wanted to, you know, try to get a knockout. And so um, I think from, you know, I think it's kind of similar in the sense of Alex Caceres. I think he, you know, is very elusive on the feet and he makes people uh, second guess what they're doing and then decide to try to get their hands on him. And once they do that, he's very crafty on the, uh, you know, from the bottom as a grappler and even just defensively as well. And he's, uh, you know, he has a lot of dexterity and flexibility. And I think that he gets, he's able to get away with a lot of, um, uh, slick movements on the ground because of that. And so, uh, but you know, I train with some of the best grapplers 
in the world, man. If you want to get some of the best jujitsu work here in Las Vegas, 10th Planet is the place to go. I train mm-hmm. with like I train with kids that aren't even known that give UFC fighters a hard time on a Damn. daily basis. It's insane. Like I mean, we have a a, a kid named Raul Rosas who's mm-hmm. uh, fighting yeah. before me. Um, he's 18 years old and the kid's just insanely good. You know what I mean? And he trains at a lot of different gyms, but he comes in. And uh, on any given night, you can catch him at 10th Planet, and he's just, you know, and there's kids just like him that aren't in the UFC. They're just just random jujitsu kids that are just so freaking good. It's so insane, and I've really surrounded myself with a lot of these guys because I feel like that's kind of the best work that I'm getting right now, uh, specifically in jujitsu, is at 10th Planet. And so um, uh, I'm not necessarily worried about his grappling, although I don't look past anything. You know, I don't, I don't think he has – that one hit knockout power, but who knows? I can go in there and he could touch me on my chin and I could fall over. So I want to be aware of, uh, be aware of everything, but I'm also very confident with the people that I surround myself with in these training camps. And, uh, and I'm very uh, confident in going into this fight and, and, and having him not be able to really get over on me in the grappling. I mean, I have zero, zero submission losses, you know, and I have, <laughs> you know, almost 40 uh, professional fights and 10 amateur fights. So, um, I feel like I'm pretty defensively good on the ground. Um, he is slick though. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we've been working and we have a lot of guys that, you know, have been jumping my back and like working a lot of the back stuff just cause I know, I feel like that's where Caceres is the best at. I mean, he almost got knocked out by Choi, jumped his back and choked him out within 30 seconds of jumping on his back. Yeah. So, um, I can't look past his jujitsu. Um, but I'm very confident in my abilities to, uh, negate that. Like when you think about, some of the guys that you you've stepped into the cage with on fight night is there anyone that you could relate his craftiness to in terms of jujitsu? huh i mean when you're talking about the ufc i mean everybody's uh everybody's good i i i mean grant dawson was uh you know is is crafty on the ground not necessarily as crafty as like a, a bruce leroy but uh yeah. definitely very dominant on the ground um, and he wasn't able to, you know, submit me um, in three rounds. But uh, I mean, Caceres is a bit of a puzzle, and that's the reason why, I've, you know, I've been asking for this fight for a long time because I love just like challenging myself with certain guys, and I think he's one of those real crafty dudes that, uh, whether we're on the feet or we're grappling, it's gonna be, you know, I got to keep my eyes wide open and just, you know, understand all the positions and every, you know, in every aspect of the fight. There's some guys that are a bit more one-dimensional, but I don't think uh, Caceres is that. Um, He's not specifically great at anything, like in my mind, but he's good everywhere. And I, I, I kind of respect that because I feel like that's kind of how I am as well. I, I don't think I'm specifically great anywhere uh, besides, you know, my cardio, my endurance and my heart, my willingness to fight. But that's something that you can't necessarily teach on a daily basis. You have to just, you know, push yourself to do that. Um, but with technique and skill, I feel like I'm similar to him that we're, you know, both decently all around good MMA fighters. Um, and so we, you know, he, just as much as he's got to be aware of everything I have, I'm going to be aware of everything he has. So how long have you been asking for this fight? Man, I shoot. I think, uh, even when I, when I was on a two fight losing streak and I lost to Grant Dawson and, uh, I was, I got another fight kind of relatively not super short notice. It was like four weeks against Julio Arce. Um, I had, I had looked up the featherweights in the UFC and was just looking at guys that, you know, I would, you know, I made a list of guys to send to my manager and say, is there any possibility to fight any of these guys? And it was like a, like a list of like eight guys. And one of them was Alex Caceres, just cause I just, I thought that would be a fun fight And at the time. And even now, I mean, a bit more at that time was I, lo- I was looking for fights that would potentially be fight of the night or bonus performing, uh, uh, fights. And, uh, and those are always ones that I chased for a long time because I like I just want to have exciting fights and uh, no one better to do that with than uh, Alex Caceres. And so, I mean, that was – shoot, that might have been like 2019 as well. So, uh, I mean, for a while, you know, and it's never been like specific like every time I fought, oh, and I want to fight Alex Caceres. Yeah. He's just been a guy on my radar and a guy in my mind and, and a guy that I think will put a, a, a fun fight for the fans with me in the case. It, it kind of makes me think about, you know – you hear athletes talk about anxiety, you know, yeah. whether it's, you know, before uh, a game, a match, whatnot. Um, when you go out there, you have a great fight, great knockout, but you know, like you're middle of the card. Do you have that much yeah. anxiety going, damn, can all these fights just be a dud? So I can get my bonus. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, like when you're like when you're in there, you're really just hoping to get the win. I mean, you're really yeah. just you're, that's the one, number one thing on your mind is just to get a win. Um, and that was one of the big things with the Dawadu fight, especially was uh, after the two first rounds. You know, the first round I thought I was going to get him out of there. Uh, I just kind of ran out of time, and he was able to, you know, tough it out and uh, and push through it. Um, and that was like one of those times where I was like, you know, thinking, oh, this might be a bonus when I'm flying kneeing him and I'm fucking, you know, I had him hurt. Uh, but then throughout the rest of that fight, it was like, there's still 10 minutes left of this fight. I still have to get through this. And so I, I, I stopped thinking about bonuses and I just thought about winning the fight. And then if I get a bonus now, it's just the cherry on top, man. And also it was good, you know, that he missed weight because I already, you know, I was already kind of free rolling <laughs> in that sense because, you know, they pay – they were paying Dawoodu pretty good money, and so 30% of his purse was pretty decent. 30, what I got paid for him missing weight was more than I got paid to knock out Landwehr to get that win. So uh, uh, it was definitely um, a little bit of a free roll for myself, and it definitely took a little bit off my, you know, a little bit of the edge off my shoulders. You know, I went into that fight a bit more relaxed, I think, because of that, and then I think he maybe felt like he was already behind because of that. You know. Uh, He's walking into that fight down money that he should have been guaranteed just by making weight. And uh, I was up money, kind of free rolling. So I feel like that gives you a little bit of an edge as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, some of those other fights, just when you leave the cage and you got the win in the UFC, that's such a, like, unbelievable feeling because we're, we're at the pinnacle of our sport. You know, the UFC is the biggest organization for us. So when you just get a win in front of millions of people, uh, you know, watching around the world, and you're walking out, you just have this kind of top of the, you know, top of the mountain feeling, you know, you just, you feel like you've, you've, you've made it and you, uh, any, and you know, every fight there's going to be, you know, half the guys are going to be winning. So there's so many, you know, people walking out of there with that, you know, that win. it could be a, the most boring win ever, but you still feel on top of the world. You feel like you got your job done uh, and anything else is bonus. Um, you know, it's more of disappointing for me when, you know, I had like performances like the Nate Landwehr fight and the Jordan fight. And I'm like, man, like those were probably bonuses, and even my coach is like, "Yeah, I think you're gonna get a bonus. Like that's pretty fucking dope." And we're already celebrating, and not for the bonus, but just celebrating the fight. And then we get the, you know, get the word that we didn't get the bonus. It was just like, oh man, it's that's a bit difficult because that changes. I mean, that's the bonus is bigger than my my win money in in those cases back then. So, uh, you know, when you uh, and I felt like some of those were just like uh, a little biased in a sense. Like the Jordan was on the London card and. Patty got a bonus. Molly got a bonus. But I didn't get a bonus. I took that fight short notice. That was 10 days notice that I took against Jordan, who was up and coming and, you know, was a prospect. And I think when they go into the performance bonuses, they should think a little bit about that as well. It's like, man, if you take a short notice, that, that's also showing how you performed above and beyond. Even other people who have had eight eight weeks of a camp. I had 10 days. I sparred one southpaw before I sparred, before I went into that cage and fought Jordan. So, uh you know, I was going in there with less knowledge than these other guys had of their, of their opponents and was able to get it done the way that I did. And that was a bit disappointing. But like I said, I think it came full circle when Peterson missed weight and we got fired of the night and I was able to double down on that bonus that night. You, you were talking about there, you know, you're talking about how end of the round, you just ran out of time against Aladu. Do yeah. you think the old version of yourself would have come out in the next round, balls to the wall trying to finish? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's like... I guess the, the evolution of your, of your fight mentality. Yes. 100%. You know, I, you know, who knows what I would have done when I was younger, you know, I might've, uh, uh, you know, yeah, come out jumping knee or something and, and, and been a bit reckless and who knows, maybe Dawoodoo catches me on the chin coming in and that's the end of it for me. But, uh, going back into my, into my corner, it was just, uh, I just wanted to be as clear headed in my mind as possible leading into that second round because I knew he wasn't. I knew he was going to be dazed uh, and, and you have a minute to recover, but that's not enough when you've been, you know, been hurt a couple of times in a round, you know, you, you will recover to some sort of degree, but you still have a little cobwebs, you know, in your head. So I knew if I stayed patient because uh, the two shots that I hit him with were just long, straight right hands that I'd been working on. So I just like, if I could be patient and I can get one more right, right hand in there. I might be able to get him out of here. So just, you know, just stick with the plan and be patient and it, it'll come to fruition. And, and then I was able to get him down and take his back, and then that was a different route. You know, I knew if I got him on the ground, me and my coaches knew that that was going to be advantageous for me to get him on the ground um, eventually. And, 
you know, I knew it was going to be hard to choke him from the back. Evalov couldn't, ch- you know, choke him, and he had his back for majority of that fight. And so uh, I knew I wasn't going to necessarily get get the choke, but I knew I could control him and beat him up there. And, uh, yeah, that was just, you know, that's a big evolution in my uh, – a big step in my evolution of, uh, you know, from back when I was younger and trying to, uh, you know, get an exciting fight every time. Final thing, and appreciate time as always. Uh, what, what do you what do you believe one of the keys to victory is uh, against Alex? I think pressure, one hundred percent. I think I can get Alex out of there in the third round. Um, and obviously, like if it goes fifteen minutes, I want to dominate. Um, and for fifteen minutes, I want to pressure him. I, you know, I do respect everything he has, but I haven't seen him put anybody away on the feet. And he's gonna have a hell of a hard time getting me to the ground. Uh, if he wants to, I think I have, you know, I think I have the ability to get him down better than he has the ability to get me down. But um, so I think you're just going to see, uh, you know, Juicy J doing the, the good old pressure for the entire time and uh, just sticking at range, but just, uh, you know, you know, kind of exhausting him with my endurance and my pace and uh, trying to get him out of there in the third round. Of course, as always, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know, I know the Instagram is back live and active. Uh, we're going to follow you on Instagram, man. Yeah, Julian underscore Rosa. I know I don't really post much. You know, I'm probably one of the uh, better known UFC fighters now who have the least amount of followers just because I never really mess around on Instagram. I just, I don't know, I kind of uh, become a recluse and just, you know, focus on training and, you know, and getting the job done uh, on fight night. But, um, yeah, if you want to reach out to me, uh, the best way is my Instagram, Julian underscore Rosa again. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know. Uh, and then Facebook as well, but I'm not really on Facebook as much as I am on Instagram. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that's going to be heading up to Canada for to fight for the unified light heavyweight title time, man. As always, appreciate time. You know, when I saw this fight announcement by Unified, one of the first thoughts I you know I thought of was uh, because, uh, you know, they just had, as we're talking, they had a card last night. And, you know, and I saw some Americans that were coming up there. And, of course, the borders open up. So how did this matchup come together for you? Uh, I started working with Dave Fish out of Paradigm, and he was giving me some fights. I've been looking for heavyweight, light heavyweight. Um, and then I had a couple guys turn me down, and then he offered me this one because he said the border just opened up. So I said, hell yeah. And then here we are. In terms of other guys turning you down as an opponent, like is that is it frustrating? Is it, in a weird way, a compliment? No, I mean, it's the game. Some guys will, you know, talk about like, oh, dude, these guys are running for me or this and that. And it's like, I mean, some fights are just better than others. And, uh, you know, to be honest, like, I think everybody does it. Like, I don't remember ever really turning down a fight, to be honest, not to like make myself seem better than everybody. Mm -hmm. But it is like, I don't know, I'm not going to hate because it's, you know, where I'm from originally in the Midwest, I feel like a lot of guys take dumb fights. You know, I took dumb fights. My third pro fight, I fought Jeff Neal, who was like 7-1 and one with all knockouts. And it's like, that was probably a dumb fight for my third pro fight. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that there is something to it. Like, there's there's got to be like an in-between. Because I also, some guys that I used to train with from there, it's like, you know, they, they fight tomato cans. And uh, that'll get you to the UFC, man. But then, you know, when you run into somebody pretty good, you know, there's a problem. So it's got to be like uh, an in-between, I think. Like, you want to take smart fights, but then you also don't want to run from fights. But it's just, I don't know, man. If I I got pissed off and I let it affect me, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm just going to probably get pissed off every time I try and get a fight. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny you say that because it, it thinks this conversation I had the other day with, with a regional matchmaker and, and they were saying like, you know, hey, you know, sometimes guys will get frustrated about, you know, X fight being turned down. He said, he goes, but he goes, I get it. Like at the end of the day in the regional scene, we all know what you're trying to get to. It's about finding the fight that fits your style. You know, it's like. He's like, you know, he's like, he's like, Hey, if you're a, a striker, he goes, if I, if I pitch you a wrestler and you're say three, four fights in your career, yeah, you probably turn the fight down. Right. No. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's again, you want to be able to fight a good wrestler and get you to that point. But it is like, you know, if there are better matchups available, then, then, you know, let's go. Like I think around now, I was a little bit further at the end of last summer, I had turned down a couple fights. Um, just because some guys had said no or whatever, um, and then tried to fight again, or you know, 
because like of my list of opponents available some of them were ufc vets so it's not like i was looking for quote-unquote easier fights but it's like you know if i fight some guy who you know has a whatever record and hasn't really fought for any big promotions it's like where does that put me but in the know if i fight this guy that fought in the ufc it's like well then if that's on the table it's like sure so i actually i did hear some guys talk about that it's like yeah i did turn you down but it was because i was actually trying to get a tougher fight i was trying to get a guy that's gonna you know put me in the ufc after a win like that or you know not still be like all right well, I, well you know in, in one or two we'll see you know what i mean so there, there's a lot also, I think, with promoters, they don't always tell the the fighters, you know, they'll definitely try. Yeah, I think sometimes that uh, promoters will definitely try and, like, you know, tell a fighter one thing or tell them another. It's like, they're all fucking shady, you know what I mean? It's like, to be a promoter, it's, that's just the nature of the game. It's like, I always take everything they say with, like, a pretty big grain of salt, so. You know, you mentioned a, a little while ago that you know you, when you were you were looking for opportunities for fights, whether it was light heavyweight or heavyweight. Um, like a, as you think about you know the, the goals that you have and where you want to be, do you do you see yourself ultimately one division over the other? Yeah, definitely two hundred five. But it's like you know, I mean, most heavyweights, even in the UFC, just are fucking slops. Like I don't think that they're good um watching a lot of them is just like like what you know what i mean it's like what do you like and if you watch them but here's like really telling if you watch heavyweights outside of the ufc it's like dude maybe you could put together 10 good ones across all of the promotions you know what i mean and it's like there are good fighters out there especially i think bellator is a pretty pretty solid heavyweight division but it's like man it's just i think there's easy money there um you know i train with some of the best heavyweights so it's like i look at some of these other guys and it's like jeez you know what i mean like 205 is definitely preferable i mean cutting weight sucks but it is like <clears throat> if that's if i have to go across two divisions to get fights because once you get to like i mean even 85 to be honest but really once you get to like 205 and, and heavyweight it's there's not a whole lot of guys out there you know and that's even in the ufc like you know i said this forever uh back dom reyes was training with us for a bit i think he was like six and oh and he was fighting john jones you know and you look at like i think there was a time when drew dober who fights in uh lightweight he had won like five or six straight and he had like just broke on the top 15 you know what i mean so it's like yeah it's a lot less crowded than the heavier division mm -hmm. so it's like it can be tough to get a fight anyway you know what i mean so if i have to go across two divisions it's okay i'll do it no problem you know when I, when I was going through your instagram uh one of the things that stuck out to me was that back in uh july uh you got published on, on a hunting magazine so uh how did that kind of come together on the side i just do a lot of writing just to, to earn money as well and mainly finance based stuff um and i actually had another one published here this month um i have to check and see what what magazine that was in because i kind of forgot i i, I submitted it a couple months ago um but hunting is a big passion of mine and, and so is writing so it's uh it's something that's pretty cool um i want to probably i'm kind of leaning doing my own thing and just self-publishing a lot of stuff um but you know writing like i said it's, it's what i do for work um i mainly do financial stuff which is boring but uh hunting is always fun i can be creative with it there's like a just so much to talk about and, and whatnot and it's it was pretty cool. Uh, so that one, the first one that I got published was just more about uh, wild boar hunting, which is mm -hmm. still my specialty. You know, my dog's a hunting dog, and, mm -hmm. you know, I mostly do everything with my bow. I'll, I'll bring a gun sometimes. But when we do it with the dogs, we uh, they kind of catch them by the ears, and then we kind of have to wrestle them down, and then we uh, we finish it off with a knife. So it's pretty uh, pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. Not brutal, I should say, because that's it's uh very hands-on i have a teammate or two i have a lot of teammates that have said they really wanted to and i'm like i mean that's about as hands-on as you're gonna get so I, I hope that you can do that and if you fuck up that's you know they will bite you you got this fight here unified mma for uh 49 december the 17th so as we're talking two weeks out from this matchup taking on graham park uh what's your thoughts on graham as an opponent um, you know, it seems like he hasn't really left Canada, um, fighting a lot of local guys there. 
Um, it seems like the promotion that uh, Unified is just trying to build them up. Uh, we've kind of talked about that. I've definitely fought for promotions that have done that with me. Um, I don't think he's fought the highest caliber of guys, to be honest. Um, I think that he also hasn't fought in about a year, so it's it's going to be a tough outing for him, I think. Um yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a step up in competition for him. Um, I'm going to be going up into his home territory, but that's not a big deal for me. I actually kind of prefer it that way. I, I kind of like it. So, in terms of uh, your your key to victory, what what do you believe is <clears throat> one of the keys for you to walk away with the title? Um, I just got to stay true to my style, stay unorthodox. Um, I do things a little bit different. Um, so I think he's going to have a tough time handling that. Um, with the striking, I mean, I switch stances a lot. So it gets uh, – I mean, even the guys I'm going with every single day, it, it takes them a while to, like, really kind of figure out my rhythm. And there you have my conversations with Julian Arosa and Ty Flores. I appreciate both those men coming on this edition of the podcast. Of course, Julian Arosa has got that matchup coming up here at UFC Vegas number 66. And he takes on Alexis Harris. It was very interesting to hear him talk about that of, uh, you know, hey, this is a matchup that he, he has wanted for some time. Also, uh, you know, listening to, uh, you know, then, of course, and he talks about, you know, kind of the, the career resurgence that he's had there also uh, then of course ty flores talking about his matchup here at unified mma 49 so i appreciate both those men coming on this edition of the show of course last night was ufc orlando steven thompson goes out and gets a tko corner stoppage win after the fourth round there against kevin holland uh, rda gets a submission win against Brian Barberina. Uh, you know, Matthias Nikolai, got to give that guy, man, uh, going out there and doing what he did uh, with, with that knockout win against Matt Janelle and then reveals in his post-fight interview with Daniel Cormier that, uh, yeah, his contract is up. So it's going to be interesting to see what the UFC does there. I uh, would love to see the UFC uh, bring that guy, uh, you know, give him a new deal. I would expect that's likely going to happen. Uh, Sergey Pavlovich, man, he looked good. 54-second win over Tatu Vasa, which, of course, you know, leads a lot of questions with, with Tatu Vasa. Just did you rush back a little bit? too quick on that matchup and then you know i tweet about this uh after the fights were over or after that fight was over i was like hold on did i just hear that right did the broadcast team throw out sergey pavlovich in the fight of the year conversation like i'm uh, like look he's had a good year no i'm i'm not going to discredit what he's done but come on man he, he's not in the fight of the year conversation i mean let's let's he's had a, he's had a nice year but he should not be there uh in, in the fighter of the year conversation which uh it'd be interesting to kind of see you know how, how that plays out there who people think uh is the fighter of the year also uh man roman de Lidze, what he was able to do against jack hermanson and some of that groundwork he did on the ground when he tied up one of jack hermanson's legs man that that was an impressive uh eric anders man he looked good against kyle Dawkins. for kyle Dawkins, i don't know where he goes from here at this point, also uh, Phil Rowe and Nico Price there at that third round where it looked like Nico Price was going to finish Phil Rowe and then Phil Rowe is able to survive and turn it around. Uh, at, at this time, I haven't ha I was able to watch the main card live, but uh, I've not uh, when I, I was at a 40th uh, birthday party last night. And uh, so I got home was uh, I want to say it was either second or third round of, of Angela Hill and Emily Dakota. So I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the prelims. Definitely going to go back and watch the prelims to see some tweets about the fights. Um, you know, probably, you know, as I look at the results, I, I think the biggest result for me uh, would be the Michael Johnson win. I, I did not see that one coming, but uh, you look at the rest of that card pretty much, I, I think, uh, you know, played out the way you thought for the most part, uh, you know, maybe people, uh, you know, favored Scott Holtzman a little bit. Of course, Clay Guida going out there and getting decision win. I'm sure uh, myself and Daniel, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what happened last night, UFC Orlando, uh, on the midweek edition of the show. Of course, uh, coming up on Wednesday, we'll get you ready for Bellator 289, also UFC 282 on Saturday night. Of course, that Bellator card, man, it's, it's a really great fight card that Bellator has there on Friday night. Of course, Rafael Sots and Danny Sabatello fighting for the interim Bantamweight title. Of course, right now, Rafael Sots is the interim Bantamweight champion. And, uh, you know, those two guys have done a great job of promoting this fight, man. These two guys have been going at it. You know, Danny is, is a guy that's, uh, you know, is, you know, look, he, he knows how to sell a fight, and, uh, which was interesting. I was trying to get Danny on the show uh, this week, and, uh, 
So uh, I, I hit up his his management company and I uh, said, hey, you know, I'd love to get Danny on the show. They're like, uh, well, we don't manage him anymore. Danny is uh, be, apparently is, is self-managing himself. So, you know, that's going to be, you know, that's an interesting matchup because, you know, you, you got to imagine that Rafael Stouts is going to want to see, you know, what Danny Sabatello can do with, with the fight on the feet. I mean, we all know what Danny Sabatello can do with the fight on the ground. To me, it's just a matter of what can he do on the feet. And uh, looking over uh, over at bestfightouts.com, uh, see DraftKings has some odds out of those fights, has Rafael Stiles as a minus 155 betting favorite. I, I, th- I would say that's probably right on because, you know, I mean, clearly he does have the advantage on the feet there. Uh, also, that card on Friday. Uh, the rematch between Liz Carmouche and Juliana Velasquez women's flyweight title matchup. Liz Carmouche making her first title defense. Also, you got uh, Magomed Magomedov taking on Apache Mix. Of course, that's the other semifinal matchup there in the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix. Uh, looking at some other ones that uh, I would say would interest me on this fight card. Uh, Kyle Crushman, Julia Willis, uh, Pat Downey making his second pro debut. Um Lucas Brand versus Dre Miley was scheduled for his fight card, but I did see Dre Miley uh, put on his Twitter account that the fight uh, was not approved or he was not approved by the Nevada Commission. So we'll see what, what happens with that one. Then, of course, on Saturday, you got UFC 282. Of course, this fight card went through a change when uh, Yuri had to pull out and, and vacate his title, which uh, I forget what fight it was last night during the main card. That, and during a commercial break, I was like, Ooh, ESPN played the wrong promo. ESPN was still playing uh, the promo like it was going to be uh, Glover and, and Yuri, the rematch there. But we got Blahovich and Ankalaev for the vacant light heavyweight title matchup. Patty Pimblett in the co-main event taking on Jared Gordon. Um, I will be, I'll be out in California, so I'm going to enjoy the fact that I'll be able to watch these a little earlier on the night as opposed to uh, to East Coast time. Um, you know, I think when I look at some of the, the interesting matchups on this one, uh, Bryce Mitchell against Ilya Taporia is one that definitely sticks out to me, the pay-per-view headliner. My, my guess is that I think that Bryce Mitchell will just grapple the hell out of, of Taboria and either get a submission victory or a decision win. Uh, if you did not catch uh, last week's podcast, uh, Jay Perrin, he has taken on Raul Rojas Jr. And the best way I will describe the conversation I had with Jay Perrin, if you missed that, you can catch it on the audio feed from last week's podcast, or you can head over to the MA Report YouTube channel to check out the conversation that I had with Jay. Is I would I would label it as fired up. And this is going to be an interesting matchup. We all know the the hype that is around Raul Rojas Jr. just turning 18 years old back at the beginning of October. This is his UFC debut. The Raul is a crazy, tremendous grappler. But the question marked with Raul uh, Rojas heading into this one is what happens if Jay Perrin keeps his fight on the feet? And the interview I had with Jay, he, he, he noted, he's like, look, I know Raul Rojas Jr. is going to try to grapple. This is what he does. If Jay, And I think that this is a great a matchup for both parties involved. You're Jay Perrin. You're 0-2 in the UFC. You get, a, you get an 18-year-old kid coming into the UFC, and he, right now, he is very skilled in one form of the game, and he's developing on the other side of the game. It'll be interesting to see what kind of changes we see from Raul Rojas from when we saw him in the contender series earlier this year to here. So, like, to me, the prelims, that's probably the fight that sticks out to most of me in this one. Um, you know, also on the prelims, fights that stick out to me, my, my guy, Billy Q, he, of course, uh, you know, trains here in Tampa, lives in Tampa. He's taking on Alexander Hernandez. Uh, Billy Q, uh, of course, you know, he was supposed to fight a couple months ago, but had that injury. So um, anytime Billy's going to be fighting, man, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm just like, look at this. And man, the, the early prelims start at 530. That'll be 230 out on the West Coast, man. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this one. Um, you know, also, I would say uh, Joaquin Buckley, Chris Curtis, that one to me, um, that that's got the recipe to be a really fun fight. You know, I would imagine, you know, it'd be interesting to see if Buckley does try to go to his wrestling roots in that one. I mean, that's when Chris Curtis has struggled. That's where his struggles come there. Um, but, uh, man, that, that's a good matchup. And, uh, you know, just kind of look at the betting odds over there. Um, interesting, you know, Patty Pimlet's a, a two to one betting favorite. I, I would be surprised. There's some people that try to maybe go over there to, uh, to that plus 170 for Jared Gordon. Uh, what does Darren Till look like? Plus 130, taking on Drake's Duplessis. 
Um, and, and just looking at some other ones, yeah, Jay Perrin plus one ninety five. Yeah, that might be one of my more favorite underdogs, just because of you know the fact of you have Raul Rojas, as I mentioned, a little bit developing fighter. Chris Gersh getting plus money on, on the action man. That one sticks out to me there as well. Stephen Coslow uh, was signed by the UFC last week to be on this fight card. I interviewed Stephen uh, probably it was earlier on this year. I don't know, maybe three, four months ago. You, you go to the MA Report YouTube channel. You can check out that one over there. Uh, so be on the lookout. To, of course, uh, you know, he's replacing Ronnie Lawrence, who suffered an injury and being out of the fight card. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, you know, for the most part in this MMA uh, lifestyle, I, I would say I probably live on a very much of a a week to week UFC calendar, but just because I had best fight odds open, I was just looking at that uh, that fight night card there on December the seventeenth. Of course, you know we had mentioned we had Julian Rosa earlier on the show, Jared Cannonier, and Sean Strickland. By the way, if you did not see the video of Sean Strickland the other day, basically uh, having a road rage incident and he's filming all of it, I mean, yeah, that is uh, that's one there. Uh, but uh, you know, looking looking at that fight card and my guy Cody Brunch, he's stepping up there on, on short notice. Uh, Saeed Yukob, um, if you didn't see his tweet the other day, um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting tweet in relation to the, the James Krause situation. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, when everything went down there on, on Friday, that was probably a tweet that, uh, stuck out to me the most when I saw that one. And, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this story plays out. Of course, uh, as always, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, download, listen to some of this podcast. It's a, it's a rare quote unquote Sunday off for me. So this is kind of nice. I'm actually recording. So I'm, I'm literally, it's about noon East coast time here on, on Sunday recording it. So, uh, the rare Sunday quote unquote day off for me, of course, uh, bucks playing tomorrow night for Monday night football. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's gonna be, uh, be able to sit around all day and uh, and watch football. I, I, that just doesn't happen much during the, the regular season, but looking forward to it. Of course, as I mentioned, appreciate you taking time out of your day. Download, listen to this episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, next episode of the podcast will be coming out on, uh, look for that on Wednesday, as myself and Daniel will uh, I'll take a look back at UFC Orlando and, of course, preview all of this week's MMA. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast, which comes out two times a week on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. <laughs>